say also thank you for the opportunity to come and to speak to you tonight. Again, it's my privilege and pleasure to do this. I was sitting at my desk a number of weeks ago and I received a text message on my mobile which read, Someone you know is in love with you. Phone this number from a landline to find out who it is. Now, some of you are laughing because you know um, probably what I'm about to say next. Thankfully, I've seen an article in a newspaper a number of weeks previously about a scam where unsuspecting victims receive a text message like this, call the number, and are then connected to a premium line rate for several hours without being able to disconnect the call. Sadly, I knew that it was a scam and that someone wasn't really in love with me. That was kind of half-hearted Oz there. <laughs> but thank you for those of you who tried. I do appreciate it. But I want to say to every one of you here tonight that I know someone who is head over heels in love with each of you. That no matter who you are tonight, no matter what you may be in the eyes of the world, I know someone who is head over heels in love with you. In our world and in our culture, the desire to be loved and accepted is everything. We will go to extraordinary lengths to make people love and accept us. We try and impress others. We try and portray an image of ourselves that we think others will like. And we hide our failures because we fear that if people knew the real me, if they saw what I was really like, then they certainly wouldn't love me and they certainly wouldn't accept me. But I want to say to every one of you here tonight that there is a God in heaven who loves you personally. That no matter who you are, he loves you as an individual. He doesn't look down in the world and love the world as a whole. He looks down in the world and he sees you. And he loves you as an individual. But what is so amazing about God's love for you and for me is that no one knows us the way that he does. And yet no one loves us with the depth of love that he has for us. God knows everything there is to know about us. He knows what we've done, even those secret things that nobody else knows about. He knows what you're thinking, even right now. He knows everything that you've ever done. There's not a thing that we can keep from him. And yet his love for you and for me is stronger than anyone else that we will ever know or meet. When we want to show someone that we love them, we do it. To, we try and express it in so many tangible ways. Boyfriends should buy their girlfriends a lot of nice stuff. If you're a boyfriend tonight and you haven't done that, you're probably in trouble and I apologise. <laughs> we try and express our love for people in so many ways, but God's love for you and for me was expressed in sending his son, the Lord Jesus, into our, into our world. In Romans chapter 5 we read that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while there was nothing lovable about us, God showed and he demonstrated his love toward us. In 1 John chapter 4 we read that God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God's love for you and for me was expressed in sending his son, the Lord Jesus, to rescue us from the penalty of our sin. Can I ask, do you know what it is to be in love? I don't mean the world's definition of love. It's just a feeling that you feel when you feel you're going to feel something you've never felt before. And so I must be in love. 
But what I mean is, do you know what it really means to be in love? Can I also ask, do you know what it is to be in love and then to have that love rejected? Well, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable about a son who rejected his father's love. And if you have a Bible, you may want to turn with me to Luke chapter 15 as we read the passage together. The text will appear, Lord willing, on the screen behind us if you would rather follow on there. This is probably the most famous parable that Jesus ever told and is the last of a series of three parables which all essentially teach the same truth, that God forgives repentant sinners. Parables are essentially earthly illustrations of spiritual realities. And so if you want to look on with me then as I read from Luke chapter 15 beginning at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his finger and sandals in his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Let's just pause for a few moments and let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we come now to your word and we pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts. We pray that your word will come tonight not simply with words but with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Open our minds that we would understand Open our hearts that we would take your word and apply it. And open my mouth that I would clearly proclaim it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Picture the scene one day. A son comes to his father and says to him, Rather than waiting until you die, I want the inheritance now. Under normal circumstances, and even today, the inheritance is not passed on until the father or the head of the household dies. And therefore, by asking for his share of the inheritance now, the son was essentially saying to his father, I wish you were dead. A quite shocking statement for any son to ever make to his father. Can you imagine how that father must have felt? To have his youngest son come to him and say that he no longer wants him to be part of his life. So much so that he wished he were dead. He must have been heartbroken to say the least. Despite the obvious hurt that the father no doubt felt, he gives his son the inheritance and then watches him pack up everything he owns and walks out the front door and off down the road, never expecting to ever see him again. 
On the other hand, here's a young guy, free from the responsibilities of home, no one watching what he's doing, and now enough money to do whatever he wanted. And so he heads off to the city, and we read there in verse 13 that he squandered his wealth in wild living. Rather than making the most of what he had, he wastes it all. You see, regardless of how much the inheritance was, it was not a bottomless pit of money. One day it would run out, and that day came a lot sooner than he expected. And to make matters worse, a famine hit the land, and so with hard times all around. And in desperation, this young guy looks for a job, and he'll take any job that's going. And in desperation, he takes a job feeding pigs. Not only that, but he's so hungry that he'd be quite happy eating the food that the pigs were eating. And now with no money, hungry, and all alone, he begins to reminisce. And he starts to think about his home life. And he remembers how well his father treats the hired help, never mind the family. And here he is, a son, starving to death. Something didn't seem right. And so in verse 18, he comes to the decision and he says, I will go home to my father. And whilst he'd made the decision to return home, he had no real expectation to be welcomed back by his father. At best, he hoped that his father would perhaps take him on as a member of staff. He never expected to be called a son again. He no longer had any right to be called a son, and he knew it. And despite that, he begins the long journey home. And yet, even while he's a long way off, his father sees him coming. And we read in verse 20 that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. You'll notice that the father does four things. Firstly, he felt compassion. I love the fact that Jesus tells us that this father saw his son coming from a long distance away which tells us that the father must have been watching and hoping that one day his son would return. It seems that the father would have spent many a day watching that road that he'd long since seen his son walk away on, hoping that one day his son might return. And as he looks out on this road this one particular day, he sees a faint figure in the distance. And as he starts to screw his eyes and he tries to make out who that figure is, he recognises that it's his son. And as the father gets closer to him, he sees that all is not well. The son had left with his bags full, and now he returns carrying nothing. The son had left as a healthy young man, and now he returns starving and very much meat. And as this father looked on his son, who had rejected his love, he felt compassion. Secondly, he runs. We don't know how old the father would have been, but it's fair to assume that in the context of Jesus' story, he would have been fairly well advanced in years. And in that part of the world, it's not considered dignified for an older gentleman to run under any circumstances. And yet when he sees his son, he is overcome with love and compassion for him that nothing is going to hold him back. He doesn't care what people will say when he sees him bursting through the front door of his house and out along that road to meet his son. When he sees his son, nothing can hold back the emotion in his heart. And he runs as fast as he can. And when he gets to him, before a word is spoken, he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Whatever reaction the son expected in his return home, 
he never expected the one he got. He must have played over and over in his mind what he would say to his father and how his father would, what he would say to him. I'm quite sure not once did he ever expect his father to come running out and throw his arms around him. After all he had done, never in his wildest dreams did he expect that his father would embrace him the way that he did. But you see, that's the point. Jesus is using this story to illustrate the fact that God welcomes repentant sinners, that he welcomes you and me like that father. That God welcomes those who turn from their sin, no matter what that may be, and they come to him for forgiveness. Notice that Jesus does not say how, how long the son had been away. We don't know whether it's been a few weeks or a few years. Bear in mind that this is just an illustration used by Jesus. But Jesus doesn't put a time limit on it. And you know something? God doesn't put a time limit on you and I. That no matter who you are here tonight, from the youngest to the oldest, God will still embrace you in the same way that that father embraced his son. After such a beautiful embrace, the son speaks. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But you know, before a word was spoken, the father had already forgiven his son. Because the fact that the son returned home showed what was in his heart. But the son's confession of his sin is so important because it showed that he recognized that he had sinned. You see, before you and I can experience the forgiveness that God offers to us, we need to understand that each one of us here tonight are sinners. That each one of us have lived our lives apart from God. Notice that the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He recognized that his sin was first and foremost against God. And whilst our sin may affect and hurt those around us, it is first and foremost against God. And that is why we need his forgiveness. And at the point of the son's confession, where he said that he was no longer worthy to be called a son, the father essentially says, enough's enough and quickly reinstates him as a son. You see, the father didn't lose a hired helper. He lost a son. He didn't lose a son to get a hired helper back. He lost his son, and he wanted his son back. And so the father says, bring the best robe. I love that. Not just any robe. He says, bring the best robe that we've got and put it on him. Put a ring in his finger and sandals in his feet. Bring the fattened calf that we've been keeping for that special occasion and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. The father was so overjoyed that his son had come home. And you see what is so incredible about this parable is that this father represents, represents our heavenly father. And this younger son is me and is you if we are willing to repent of our sin and come back to him. You see, the younger son is an example of a sinner who genuinely repents of his sin and welcomes back into God's family. And like the younger son, all of us at one time have said to God, I want to live my life my own way. And we've taken our lives as it were and we've gone to a distant land and we've bought into what this world has to offer us. But for many of us here tonight, we found like, just like this younger son, that rather than the world giving to us, it took everything away. What the world promised, it didn't deliver. There was this son in the world eating pig's food. 
And back at home his father had a big stake for him. As long as you and I do not have Jesus in our lives as Saviour, no matter what you may try and fill your life with, it will not fill the void in your life. No matter who you are tonight, no matter what you have, nothing can ever fill the void that only Jesus can. Do you know those children's toys that you get where you need to put the shapes in the little blocks? When we try and fill our lives with whatever this world has to offer us, we're trying to take the circle and fill it into the hole that's a triangle. It doesn't fit. And until we come to the Lord Jesus and we recognize that we are sinners, that we need his forgiveness, we will never experience that fullness that he wants to give us. You and I were created for a relationship with God. Isn't that incredible? That this God that we serve is not a distant being. He's not a way out there, not interested in the events of my life and in your life. But our God is a personal God. We were created to have a relationship with him. But the thing is, the sin in your life and my life prevents that relationship from happening. It separates us from God. You see, God wants to have that relationship with us. But we can only do it by turning from our sin and giving our lives to Him. In the parable that Jesus told you, you'll notice that the Son was the one who rejected his father's love. The son was the one who said to his father, I no longer want that relationship with you. I don't want anything more to do with you. Give me my inheritance and let me go. But although it was a relationship that was severed by the son and his sin, it was restored by the father and his grace. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment that you and I deserve. In order that we can be forgiven and be brought back into that relationship, with God and that's what we've been singing about tonight and I hope for the vast majority of you here tonight if not every single one of you that as you saw those words you could identify with that knowing that Jesus died for me if we want that relationship with our Heavenly Father to be restored then we need to come back to God and we need to come back the same way that this younger son did with nothing to offer except our lives admitting our sin and how undeserving we are of his forgiveness do you know something there's nothing that you can offer to God that will make him that will make you worthy in his sight there is nothing that you and I can do that will earn God's favour I remember the story of the evangelist who was speaking at a church and he was challenging people to come to Christ and he noticed down sitting in one of the pews was an older gentleman and in the end of the service he walked over to him and he said to him sir would you like to become a Christian to which the man retorted, I've been a deacon in this church for 25 years. Oh, said the evangelist, don't let that stop you. <laughs> I don't know who you are. And I don't know what positions you may have. But you know something? As the song says, the foot of the cross is level. And we all come the same way. And there's nothing that you and I can bring to God and to offer him it will make him say, you deserve my forgiveness. Because we don't. When we come to him and we offer him our lives and we admit that we are sinners, that how undeserving we are are of his forgiveness. And when we do that, we find that just like the Father, God runs towards us and he throws his arms around you and me and he welcomes us back into his family. 
I said at the start that God is head over heels in love with each of you. Do you want to know how I know that? How do I know that God loves you? I know that God loves you because he gave up what he loved the most to save you. In Romans chapter 8 we read that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for his all. What is so astounding about that verse is that Paul tells us that God not sparing his own son was the hardest thing imaginable for God to do yet he did it to save you tonight. You want to know how much God loves you? He gave up what was most precious to him to save you. That is how much he loves you. One writer says the judgment of sin on the cross was the supreme example of God's love for he poured out his wrath on his beloved son in place of sinners. Why has God done all this? One word. Grace. Grace, Alistair Begg writes, is God giving the sinner, you and me, what we do not deserve. If the Father in Jesus' parable had given the Son what he had deserved, he would never have welcomed him back. And if God were to give you and I what we deserve, then we would be condemned for our sin. And then we would spend eternity separated from God in hell. I have to tell you that tonight because I fail in my responsibility before God in preaching the gospel if I don't tell you that. That if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord, then you will spend eternity separated from him. You'll have spent your life saying, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. And he will say to you, then you will spend eternity without me. Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you. In order that you would have the fullness of this life and of all eternity to come and spend it in his presence forever. You see, grace does not give, does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather on what God has done for us. The only reason that I will not be condemned for my sin is because I believe God when he tells me in his word that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sin in my place, taking the punishment that I deserve. And that by turning from my sin and giving my life over to him, my sin is forgiven. And I'm brought back into that right relationship with him. Paul writes to Timothy and he says that God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And in Titus chapter 3 we read that when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of anything we have done, but because of his mercy. Let me finish with this story. On her way to the bus stop, she entered the drugstore to get one last thing. Pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain and spent all she could on photographs of herself. And with her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew that Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. And when pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. And so knowing this, Maria began her search. She went to nightclubs, bars, hotels, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. And at each place she left her picture taped in a bathroom mirror to a hotel lobby bulletin board, wherever she could. And in the back of each photo she wrote a note. Well, it wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out and Maria had to return home. 
The weary mother wept as she began that long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her, her brown eyes no longer danced with youth that spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. What was supposed to be a most wonderful experience in her life had just turned in to the worst experience ever. A thousand times over she longed to trade those countless beds for her bed at home. And yet the village was in just too many ways just too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. And written in the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Just please come home. Christina did. I said at the start that God loves you more than you can imagine. And God's love for you is such that there is nothing you can do that will make him love you more than he does right now. And God's love for you is such that there is nothing you can do or have done that will ever make him love you less. No matter what you may have done in the past, no matter what you may be in the eyes of the world, God says to you tonight, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, I love you and I can forgive you. So please come home. Let's pray.